Amen? All right. I wanna, today I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, so kind of put a finger there, but hold those Bibles up and let's uh, share what we do each Lord's Day together. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. And so here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, would you speak to me? In Jesus' name, amen. I, I heard that phrase probably almost 30 years ago, that prayer, Lord, speak to me. It was given by a man named Bob Stacy. Bob Stacy was the founder and director of Christ in Youth. They are celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. It's a conference that will literally change lives. But I will never forget Bob Stacy standing and asking us to pray that prayer. Lord, speak to me before the speaker ever came. And so I've never forgotten that. And I hope and pray that you're sincere when you pray that in, in, on Sunday morning. Lord, speak to me. Because it's really important that the Lord talk to you. Tamara Robbie arrived at Hostra University. Fellow students seemed unusually friendly. People said as they never took their eyes off of her, they would smile, they would wave, and they would say she looked like one of their friends. She was a new student, and so Tamara was caught off guard by that type of behavior. A few people said she looked like somebody they knew really, really closely. Tamara just figured it was probably somebody who had uh, moved from Mexico or been born in Mexico. So when a friend of a friend showed up at her 20th birthday party and he just couldn't stop staring at her, his name was Justin, and he told her that she looked exactly like a friend, Adriana Scott, who was also born in Mexico. And as they talked further, there were odd similarities. Adriana was adopted like Tamara. They both shared the same birthday. Justin insisted that they had to be sisters. But Tamara, ah, she shook her head. She was an only child, she said. Still, she agreed to let Justin set up an, a, a, a meeting, first over the Internet, just to see why everyone kept staring at her. It began then an unfolding story, a real-life fairy tale. Adriana raised a Roman Catholic in a house with a white picket fence in Valley Stream on Long Island, and Tamara raised Jewish in a, an apartment near the American Museum of Natural History on the upper west side of Manhattan were twins. They were separated at birth because of problems with the adoption process. They had no idea there was a twin sister somewhere. They'd been separated by 20 years of time, an hour drive, and total ignorance. It all came to light a few evenings after that birthday party. Justin arranged for Tamara and Adriana to instant message one another. They soon discovered that they were indeed both born in Mexico on the same day, were both exactly five foot three and three quarter inches tall, both loved to dance, both used Pantene shampoo, 
But when it, when was it when it, it really happened or, or, or enlightened them when Adriana sent a picture of herself that the wonder finally hit them? The picture of Adriana was Tamara all over again. Minus a small birthmark Tamara had on her eyebrow. The twins agreed to meet the following Sunday at a McDonald's parking lot near Hofstra, a world away from the Guadalajara Hospital where they had been last been together. Awkward was the conversation. Curious glances were shared. Friends were stunned by the similarities in their voices and in their mannerisms. And after lunch, they went to each other's homes to meet their mothers, both of whom reacted the same way. Jaws dropped. They stared wide-eyed and they were overwhelmed by the family resemblance these two shared. Radically different upbringings and experiences, however, could not erase the obvious. They shared a common DNA that connected them to one another. The exciting part of that story is that both sisters today have graduated college with a degree in psychology and they spend a lot more time together. Stories like that kind of grip us, don't they? But even more amazing is the incredible true story of how the spiritual DNA of our Heavenly Father renovates, shapes, and directs the lives of those who are truly His children by faith in Jesus Christ. The language of the New Testament makes it plain that at the point when we are made sons and daughters of God by faith in His Son's death and resurrection, a radical inward change begins. And that inward change is so pervasive, so decisive, so certain that the New Testament fully expects every true Christian will be very different from this world. You claim to be a Christian this morning? Well, the Bible would say, prove it. Prove it. You might ask, well, preacher, how do I prove it? Glad you asked. Now I have an opportunity to preach to you. How do I prove it? A changed and a changing life for true Christians Habits will be reformed in in different directions. Language gets cleaned up. Impulses towards self-centered, self-promoting, self-satisfying pursuits are overhauled. There's a sense of wrongdoing in a true Christian where he or she tries to satisfy the needs like the world does. There is a shift from living for the body to living for Christ and for His kingdom. These changes are not negotiable. They necessarily flow from a connection with Christ. They are the natural byproduct of belonging to God's family. Let me share a few verses with you. One is in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinance. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. That's Old Testament. Old Testament. God 
was ready to move and to do some things in their hearts. And you might say, well, that's Old Covenant. What about New Testament? Glad you asked. John chapter 3 and verse 3. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, the uh, Sanhedrin leader. He says, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he jumps down to verse 7, and he makes it very personal when he says, you must be born again. Now that's the language of a new life. That's the language of new life. Birth introduces me to a family. You can't be a part of a family unless you're born. Can I say an amen? Now, here's the fun part. None of us get to choose the color hair, whether we have hair. None of us get to choose our eyes or our color of our eyes. None of us get to choose the parents that we're born to. We don't get to choose that. That's all God's stuff. And we may step back after God's creation and go, I don't like what you've done. Were you asleep at the wheel when you got to my mold? I mean, we can do all those things. But I love the little poster that years ago I read as a little bitty kid, he's looking in the mirror and he goes, God don't make no junk. (laughs) And that's true. He doesn't, does he? Every creation of God, every person that's been created by God is a special anointed person that God created. You know why? Because the Bible says He breathed into man the breath of life. So guess what? You've been touched by God whether you reject it or not. Because when you take in death and breathe it out, that's God. Because as as sure as you quit doing that, guess what? (laughs) You don't live much longer. If you can't suck it in and blow it out, you're not going to live much longer. It's amazing, this instrument, this tool that God made. I was talking to Donna about her bypass surgery. Her heart is already making a new, a new uh, it's bypassing one of the bad uh, vessels in, the, in her heart. Her heart's already making a new one. <laughs> Hello? How did it know to do that? Well, I'm sure she sat down one night. She said, okay, heart, let's have a, heart, let's, let's have a talk. Several of mine are clogged. I need you to make a new one. So the heart goes, sounds good to me. Starts correcting. No, it knew what to do. It knew what to do. Isn't that amazing? The liver, you can cut out part of your liver and it'll grow back. Hello. Yeah. It's crazy. This thing God made. I love watching stories of, of our young servicemen and women who've lost limbs. And I saw one the other day where they were, they, they, uh, the golf pros had invited them to a golf course to teach, help them learn how to swing their club with their you know, with their uh, prosthesis on and so forth. It was so fun to watch them. They'd hit the ball, and then they'd start griping like most golfers do. They'd go, ah, they slam the club, you know, down. And they, they're standing on one leg. But they're hitting the ball. Hallelujah. And I love the story. So I think it's in the paper this morning. She says, I will not quit. Young girl lost, lost her leg in, in the war. She said, I will not quit. I will not quit. Woo! That's what I'm after, isn't it? That's the kind of people I want to hang around, isn't you? Well, how did she learn to do that? Because she's got some parents that have taught her that. She's got a, I bet she's got a relationship with God. I'll bet you. You don't find many atheists in foxholes. All right. Ron Sider wrote a book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience, Why Are Christians Living Just Like the Rest of the World? He asserts in that book that only 9% of Christians tithe. 
And of the 12,000 teenagers who took the pledge to wait for marriage, 80% had sex outside of marriage in the next seven years. George Barna calls professing Christians in whom there is no difference from the world, he calls them born again. Ron Sider calls them evangelicals. The New Testament is not that favorable in its estimation. Instead of assuming that there are truly born-again people who, are, who have permeated this world, the Bible asserts in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. The reason the world doesn't want to come to Christ because of us is because they see us living like them. When we stop living like them, they might come. 2 Chronicles 7.14 does not say, if all people will pray, God will respond. It says, if my people. Well, I don't know if I'm one of them or not. Now, well, if you don't know if you are, then you better get on the bandwagon, friend. Should have had an amen there. I'll pause. Thank you. All right, let's keep going. I can't go till you give me an amen. But I want us to look this morning, for the next few weeks, I want us to look at changing from the inside out. We're going to literally do what 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, and that is to test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. It's time for some self-examination. Summer's a good time for that. Schedules are different. The hustle and bustle slow down a bit. And sometimes it's time to reflect. You know, people gone to the lake over the weekend. Some of you didn't. Thank God. I'm glad you're here this morning. Cheaper to come to church now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somebody's telling me this morning that uh, they've gone to the lake and uh, $95 used to fill up a ski-doo and a truck. Hello. <laughs> Whew. That's an that's a expensive day, isn't it? Anymore, you stop at the gas station, $100 bill just to put gas in your car. Wow. Somebody somewhere is making a lot of money. I hope they can sleep at night. But we're running out of resources, aren't we? That's what we're being told. We're running out of resources. Let me tell you something. As long as we've got him, we've got all the resources we need. I still say, kick it up $7 a gallon. Let's beat them at their own game. I know you're looking at me. You're nuts. Boy, you're nuts. <laughs> I know I am. Exaggeration works, though, sometimes. But let's go back to our Ephesians 4.1 passage. I, therefore, the prisoner... In the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. You see, Paul opens this book of, uh, uh, of this chapter in Ephesians. And he exhorts and reminds the readers that though he's in jail, he is practicing what this verse describes. He holds out his chains and he says to us, this truth is worth being in prison for worth dying for. I would encourage you to do a Google search, Voice of the Martyrs. Click on their, on their website and begin to read about the modern day martyrs who are giving their very lives to this day for the cause of Jesus Christ. They're being beaten. They're being dismembered. They're even being killed. And I would ask you and challenge you after you read that to describe for me what turmoil you're going through to be a Christian? What roughness in your life are you going through to be a Christian? Oh, I, I understand how difficult it is to, 
to, to get up and to get kids ready for church and to get them to church. And uh, I understand that. I understand that you've been out late and you, you're just tired and it's hard to pull that old carcass up out of that bed and get it to the church. I know. I know how hard that is. And I know it's difficult to, to, to uh, uh, cut back on your tithe to the Lord because you're having to pay so much to put gas in your car. I, I, I got you. I'm with you. In this verse, he adds the connecting word, therefore, which tells us that what he is about to write is based on what was preceded in chapters 1 through 3. Now I want to ask you a series of questions. Do you believe that as a Christian you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing? Do you believe that you are God, that you were God loved so much that He chose you and predestined you to be adopted through Jesus Christ? Do you believe that you have redemption through His blood? the forgiveness of our trespasses? Do you believe that you have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit? Do you really believe that you were once dead in trespasses and now have been made alive? Do you believe that you are His creation, His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works? Do you believe that you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household? Do you believe that you are being built together for God's dwelling? Do you really believe that God is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in you. If you believe these things, says Paul, then here is what you need to do. Walk worthy of the calling you have received. If you believe all of those things, and they're talked about in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, then therefore you should walk in a worthy manner. The word on which this phrase turns is the word worthy. It's the Greek word axios, which we get our English word axis. In Paul's day, the word referred to a method for measuring weight using a counterbalance. When I thought about that and read about that, I thought about a seesaw at the uh, uh, park. And I always wondered why guys wanted me on one side of that seesaw. And they didn't necessarily want anybody other than me on the other side of the seesaw. And it was because I could push up, and when, and when I went down, and believe me, that seesaw went down, they got the ride of their life for a brief two seconds. And most of the time they would leave their seesaw hanging on to the handle grips that were there, and then they would boom, plop back down. Well, they were never heavy enough to get me up off the ground, so I got to push myself up again. It was a lot of fun for me. So after a while, I would just get off. And great would be the fall thereof. And it was fun to watch. But you see, it was about the counterbalance. And that's what God would want you and I to experience in our life. He would want us to walk in a, wor a worthy manner so that the world sees us in the way of a Christian. Are you with me? Paul basically says, put all that Jesus has done for you and all that you've received because of him on one side of the scales and then place your life on the other side of the scales. And does it balance? If it balances, you're walking worthy. If 
if it balances your life as fully expressing who you are in Christ. But I want to challenge you this morning. As the worship team comes to help me close. I want you to stand back and I want you to look carefully at your life. This morning, I want you to get honest and I want you to ask yourself, does my attitude toward my spouse, my guidance of my children, my behavior on the job, my temperance behind the wheel, my faithfulness to God in small things, my willingness to sacrifice my words to and about others, my involvement in spiritual opportunities with the church, that they reflect what my Savior has done for me? Do all of these things, are they balancing? Or have I settled for that drowsy, television-soaked, semi-devotion where there is little or no real difference between me and you and the world? I want Him to increase and me to decrease. I want to come to the place where my life from the inside out is pleasing to God. George Mueller of Bristol, England knew the secret. He said, There was a day when I died, died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will, died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the approval or blame even of my brethren or friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. That's why it was said of George Mueller that he had the 23rd Psalm written in his face. I want to be like that. I want to be real. I want to be authentic. I want to be in tune with Jesus through and through. Don't you? Don't you? Father, we ask you this morning to move among your people. We ask you to do a work in each heart. And Father, there might be somebody here that just needs to come and kneel before your cross right up here in the front. It's a good place to get reconnected with you. They might be here and have never claimed you as their Savior. They don't know, really know what all that means. They know that something's tugging in their heart and they need to do something about it. I would love the opportunity to sit down and talk to them and teach them in Scripture what that decision means. There might be others here that have been attending our church for a while and they just want to make this their church home. Well, God, we're not perfect, but we're sure forgiven of you and we'll do our best to love them like Jesus does. So, Father, if there's someone that has a need of any kind, they need to cry, just need prayer, would you have them respond in 